Just stop it. The run of the mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk with someone who has steered the reins off their industry's lame status quo. Our guest today is an experienced biz dev and sales leader. He's a civil engineer by education, but he's also a foodie who has worked his way up from the bottom of the restaurant industry to now leading sales, marketing, and growth initiatives for company acquisitions. He's also funded and successfully exited a couple of startups, Chowley being one of his funnest ventures. So why are we talking to him today? Well, 50% of all restaurants could be virtual by 2030. And that leaves a wide open space for startups to step up. Our guest specializes in SaaS sales for startups and Fortune 1000 companies. He's coming to us live today from Austin, Texas, Director of Biz Dev at Hunger Rush, Brian Duncan. Hi, how are you doing today, Carla? Good, how are you? Great, great pleasure to be here and thanks for having me. I love your um, ingredient in the background. Love is the best ingredient. <laughs> yep, that is not me. I have no uh, decor skills. That is my significant other who does all that. <laughs> well, I'm sure to make really good food, there's got to be some love that goes into it, right? Definitely. L love for the uh, people that eat it and love for the uh, ability to make it too. As well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're going to dive into this whole restaurant industry going virtual, but I want to ask you the number one, like... You've obviously worked with startups, you've mm -hmm. successfully funded them, exited them, you're in SaaS, and you've worked with a lot of innovators. So tell me, what is the number one, the main ingredient for disruption? I think a lot of times, like, uh, you know, obviously everybody's going to say, find the white space, you know, solve a problem. And that's all great. I think a lot of times when it comes to uh, tech startups, uh, people try and overcomplicate the solution, Right. Uh, how do we get food there faster? We build a drone, right? And like, wow, that's really impressive. But the amount of capital outlay you're going to need, the amount of uh, people involved that are going to need to help you get there, you need government regulations. Just for the drone example, being one example, this is going to be, you know, crazy because uh, flight space isn't free, right? Right. So uh, what I always say is, you know, high-tech solutions for low-tech problems, right? So pro solutions that we are using currently to solve a uh, major issue, right? Well, how do I get my food from the restaurant to my house using that same initiative? You know, Uber, for example, solved that solution by using a high-tech solution, which was an app for a low-tech problem, getting the food from the restaurant to your house. Before Uber, before Grubhub, before DoorDash, you had to go pick it up yourself. Yeah, right? that's true. PleaseDeliverMyFood.com. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Exactly. So high tech solutions for low tech problems that handles a lot of service industries and the restaurant right. industry is a service industry, right? Definitely. Being my background, that's kind of what I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So, so tell me this. So, so you're doing this in the restaurant industry, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. So what is the status quo going on right now in restaurants in regards to this, like fast food, quick service restaurants, you know, other restaurants, like what are the low tech issues? What's the status quo? Where are the pain points? Yeah. Well, first one being taking orders, for example, right? Um, people, about 50% of all orders that are taken by a restaurant are still received by a phone. So that's a problem that with labor issues, with increased wages, restaurants are facing. Well, they have a hard time finding the labor. If they can find the labor, they have to then pay them, you know, three, five, 10 X what they were paying them five years ago even. So that's a huge problem in itself. That's a low tech issue, okay? And, and let me ask you this. So 50% still take orders on the phone. That's correct. Is that you, because there's just, people just don't order like online? They just want to pick up the yeah. phone? Well, when you think about the uh, online ordering, the first thing that comes to mind is going to be a Domino's pizza, Pizza Hut, right? All these major national chains that have like uh, a very large online presence, marketing budgets, apps, you know, commercials on TV. But the largest portion of restaurants in America are independent operators. So I've, my parents have been going to the same Nick's Pizza down the street from their house for, you know, however many years they've lived there, and they still call in their order. So if you think about all those independents combined as one national brand, they don't have the online presence. They don't have the, you know, wherewithal to provide, you know, real sophisticated technical solutions and their clientele is used to the same old solutions. So they're calling it in and those numbers are greater than all those national brands combined. Wow. And it probably is a huge bottleneck, Correct. right? Because mm -hmm. let's talk about the labor issue because that's really um, exponentially gotten worse since COVID, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and why is that? Because one, we have way more online orders than we did before. We have more people, well, on, I don't know, really online, but calling for delivery. Yeah. Um, tell so me. one thing that COVID did was that, you know, what things that trends we knew were already happening, the increase in off-premise dining. For those of you who aren't industry veterans, off-premise means not in the restaurant, but at your home. It kind of expedited that, right? Accelerated the adoption of those type of policies because you couldn't go into a restaurant and eat. So everybody got really used to ordering food online or to take home. So what that did is expedite and make it more normal, which would have happened five, 10 years from now happened right now. So now everybody is trying to come up with the off-premise solution, whether that's through digital ordering, packaging, um, uh, it could be anything from, you know, just taking phone orders, right? And restaurants before, when they had 3,000, 4,000, 10,000 square feet, hundreds of tables, a bunch of servers, those tables are now empty, but they still have the staff built for that. So now they're trying to re-engage their staff in such a way that allows them to deliver the product and not have so much staff on site. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of overhead, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Lots of tape. What do you happen to know? Like, I'm not going to hold you to it, but a percentage of like on order premise compared to off order since COVID? Yeah. So it, it, since COVID is going to be kind of difficult to quantify because it's, it's different 
across the cuisine, right? Yeah. Uh, but I know, you know, pizza is now around 70%, which has always been kind of the norm. Uh, but the amount of pizza we're ordering has increased. And that's because when you think eating at home, you know, we're, we're still, you know, uh, uh, caught in those patterns that we've always done of pizza, Chinese food, right? Um, things you know that are going to be delivered and are going to taste fine. But now where the real rub has come in, it's cuisines that we never took off premise to eat at home are now becoming mobile to order as well. Things like burgers, fried chicken are now popular to order offline. Um, you get into even things like steaks, right? Ruth Chris has a off-premise solution, P.F. Chang's, right? Things that were fine dining can now be taken home and eaten. So they're trying to come up with solutions as well to those problems. So if you've been to a Cheesecake Factory or P.F. Chang's, those are giant restaurants. And when the shift is a 40% increase to off-premise dining, those establishments weren't built for that. Mm -mm. They were built to have you go and enjoy your dinner there, not off-premise. Hence why they're coming up with, you know, Cheesecake Factory to go, which are just window service and stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And it virtually happened overnight. It's not like anybody had a gradient approach to this. Exactly. It's like trial by fire. And you said uh, the largest percentage are independent operators. They're not these Correct. big chains, right? Correct. Yep. So what is the disruption? What is the innovation here that is really helping these independent operators, these small businesses um, yep. transition and stay afloat? Yeah, so the first easy solution everybody's going to say is, well, there's an app or a website, right? You can order online, order via your app, right? Well, going online and finding, okay, well, my parents' favorite place makes pizza is pretty difficult to find if you're even two miles from them because when you search pizza, the first thing that comes up on Google is Pizza Hut, Papa John's, Domino's, Domino's. right? Yeah, yeah they're going squ- to squash that uh ability to be found via traditional search methods. But then you have uh, app ordering, which is also great because you know most searches and most uh, digital interactions now are done via your phone, which we all know, right? But the, the only real estate that's harder to keep and maintain is apps on your cell phone. So think about how many apps you've downloaded and then deleted. Oh yeah, There's- I did a whole like, uh, bulk delete on things that I never yeah, used exactly. not too long ago. So you can really, like my parents love Nick's Pizza. They invest thousands of dollars a year in an app. You got to maintain it, update it. But I also like Joe's Burgers and Will's Asian. Am I going to have all those apps? Hence why a Grubhub or a Uber Eats or DoorDash becomes relevant. Uh, because that's a solution to that problem where you can get all of your restaurants in one location, like a phone book, but digitally right. from food. So the, the high-tech solution now has become artificial intelligence. So things that projects I'm working on are text ordering, right? There's no app that needs to be downloaded. You can text and order your food right from the phone. A lot of restaurants are adopting it. You don't have to worry about engaging via email or getting you to go to a site or getting you to download all that information, you can literally order via your phone, via a text. And it works the same way we chat via, with my family or friends. Hey, I want a large pizza, extra cheese, Diet Coke, uh, two burgers instead of fries. 
And can you hold that order for 40 minutes? It can understand all of that, put it into the uh, on-site point of sale system and put it in the kitchen. So it alleviates that hurdle for these independent restaurants to gain that digital uh, footprint that a large pizza chain is going to have. No way. <laughs> yep. Now, how does this like bypass Uber or Grubhub or? Yeah, because if, when you're on a Uber or a Grubhub or a DoorDash, you have the same problems you're going to have online if you're the local mom and pop restaurant. Got the it. The larger ones can give more percentage, pay more to be higher up in the search results. Same thing. So let me ask you this. I, I, um, I read a bunch of articles and I've been looking at things like in this particular space, right? And I noticed that a lot of restauranteurs um, stated or various ones stated that um, there's a lot of fees that get, uh, you know, that they pay via Uber Eats, Grubhub, things like that, that really is not um, friendly to the small businesses. Or is that true? It it definitely is true. So they're going to pay anywhere from 10 to 35% you know, sometimes even higher, depending on, you know, how high up in the search results you want to come up, right? Do you want to run coupons? Do you need these third parties to deliver your food, right? Now, unlike a lot of people, I'm not against these companies, right? Because whether you pay- I use them. Yep, exactly. (laughs) I do. Being on the other side of it too, working with restaurateurs, whether you pay it to these third parties like DoorDash, or you pay it to a third-party marketing firm to make sure you're found, you're still paying it, right? So yeah. what DoorDash is doing is introducing you to 2 million customers that you never would have been introduced to unless you paid a marketing company a million dollars like these pizza companies do. Yeah, no, that's so who true. You and pay that, it to? that is a trade-off and it's a very valuable trade-off, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a freelancer. They, they don't really like to market and sell. They want to have clients, but they want to work on their own time, right? <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> so let's talk about this, it, this text thing. Um, so it's text-based ordering. Is it, you know, AI, there's a lot of data about AI and then there's yep. true AI, right? Correct. Like, mm-hmm. Tell me more about the text-based ordering. So think of it as being like uh, machine learning, AI, like people use those words interchangeably, but they do have some, some, some you know, uh, nuanced differences. So when I say it's AI, it's not going to like, you know, Terminator, think for you, you know, take over the world type stuff. It's going to learn based on the amount of uh, data that's put into it. So the more text orders it gets, the smarter it gets. So what does that mean? That means like if I order a uh, blueberry dream from Smoothie King, but I call it the dark blue smoothie, if it sees that over and over again, it'll learn what you mean. And it will then be able to correct that via the order. So the reason it's so beneficial is that you can misspell words. You can call chicken wings, hot wings, and then know you meant buffalo wings, right? it'll be able to correct you. It can upsell you. If you order Diet Coke all the time and you didn't order it this time, it will upsell you. If you order Pepsi and they have Coke prompts, it will correct you on that as well. It, can, it does those big nuances, but now companies taking it a step farther, including the one I work with, and it's now voice as well. So we talk about the labor issue of restaurants being switched from uh, primarily in dining to off-premise dining. 
well, people are still taking those foreign orders, correct? That hasn't stopped, it's still 50%. The new AIs that are coming out can now answer the phone, listen to you talk, respond to you as a human voice, place the order without a human ever touching it. Wow. So those are coming out too as well. Does that come with initially, you know, the frustrations of going through, uh, you know, an automated system so, sometimes? I mean, I'll be honest, it's not perfect, right? Like, yeah. It's not going to be hundred percent. But what I always tell restaurants is that, do you have any employees on your staff that enter in the order hundred percent correct all the time? And they just say, no, I don't. Right. Well, there you go. Right. So we'll be as good as they are, if not better. Right. Right. So how do these independent, um, do you have any stories of like independent um, chains or independents um, or even bigger chains that are actually having a lot of success with this and what's yeah. it doing for their bottom line or the labor shortage issue? Mm -hmm. I mean, like I can think of two large ones right now, the cost may be a little bit prohibitive for independence, but that's probably only a year away before it's getting more and more, you know, uh, faster to uh, adopt and faster to uh, it, it put into a, a restaurant location. But for the larger chains, Judd's Pizza just hit 2 million orders, right? Uh, all via text. Not a single one came through any other medium. And they're getting customer reviews that say, this is the only way I order now. Because they can do it while they're at the soccer game. They can do we it have now. a Judd's Pizza yeah. down the street. I love yeah. them. So you can literally text your order to their the same phone number you're calling and it'll take the order in. You're kidding. And the great thing about it is, you know, uh, me being a father and you've got kids screaming in the background, you can just type repeat order because let's be honest, kids are creatures of habit and the text will know exactly what you ordered last time and just pay for it all via text, send it, never have to type anything else. It's pretty streamlined, straightforward. Uh, also Smoothie King, same thing, right? They've enacted it in two markets, um, getting amazing customer feedback from it. Same thing. They go to a gym after your gym, you type repeat order, go over there, it's ready in 10 minutes, pick it up and leave. You wow. don't have to go through the app, wait in line, any of that kind of stuff. It's really quick. But now they're trying to implement the voice order as well, where they're, you know, being able to repurpose headcount, you don't say let go, repurpose to other parts of the restaurant where they need them and use voice ordering to take those phone calls. And now, what do you mean repurpose? So when we have uh, a budget for 10 people in a, in a restaurant, that's our budget, right? If we are maximizing the amount of food we can put out because the ovens, these are all calculations we're performing in the background. And our budget is 10 people at $15 an hour. And we know that at certain times of night or Super Bowl weekend, we're going to get two X amount of orders we get. Now, I know I need two, three people at all times answering those phone calls to make sure well, that's 10 people, now three of them are gone to answer phones. Now we've got seven, right? So we need four to cook pizzas, now we got six. We need another four delivery drivers, that's our 10, we're done. But if we're busy on like a Super Bowl weekend, we know that it's taking uh, two hours to get your pizza now. That's why that happens, because we can't budget for more people, but we still, but I'm getting twice the orders. So if I get a, a high-tech solution for a low-tech problem, like text ordering or voice ordering, I can take those phone people and now put them as delivery drivers to make more pizza. So now I can put that hourly time down. I can put on more product and make more money. Wow. You know, that's actually pretty amazing. And 
I think also the catalyst from COVID is now that we're, we're even less tolerant of delays in our ordering, yep. right? So yep. two hours for a pizza would really tick some people off, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right? <laughs> we don't think about it like, mm-hmm. Hey, um, they only have so many people that can take these orders and, yep. you know, and we, and we complain about it. They yep. should have gotten more people. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? And after a certain point in time, you start losing money. Right. Yeah. Two people in the restaurant. Yeah. And one thing I learned also, and I didn't really realize this, but now of course it makes sense because I do it. Pizza orders are so personalized. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, okay, I'm gonna order a pepperoni. It's like I want a pepperoni with extra cheese and I want <laughs> like right. I mean, there's some crazy stuff people do to yep. pizzas, right? Half onion, half green pepper, um, over I want a well baked square cut. Right. right. Yeah. I like mine. About, well done. Crispy. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about how intuitive this AI is or machine learning, which would be a better word for it. Uh, it can figure all that out and understand what you mean and then place that order for you. So this is being utilized by some big chains and they're having great success with it. And you said it'll be in the next year, it'll be more conducive for our, the small Correct. independence. Does that mean that this whole AI machine learning of what's all the different orders. That's 2 million orders. That's 2 million plus inputs, different inputs, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how many, it's probably way more than that, right? Where it's learning, right? Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. Does that transfer to other independents? It sure does. So it's like the secret sauce that uh, uh, I'll give Ali Hussein a big shout out here that he developed his team who created it is that, um, they didn't just write it for each individual restaurant. It's written the code in such a way that you ordering your favorite uh, Asian takeout, it can learn from that as well for your favorite pizza or burger place or smoothie place. So it's wow. cross utilizing that information. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think 2 million for one location, you got to think about all the other locations across all the different brands. They're also using it. So people like you, like, Jet pieces serve chicken wings, but so does Domino's. And so does, you know, so they're also learning in a different way. And if you were to type, you know, well, a McNugget, for example, but it's not McDonald's, it would know what you meant because it knows that, hey, when you order that at McDonald's, they mean this. So obviously ordering at Burger King, you mean the same thing. Right. Right, right, right. Well, I bet this is really going to save some independence bacon. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my question is like, how do, how do companies find out about this? What do they, you know, how do they do this? How do they get set up for, you know, texting by order or is it like a voice bot or, you know, call like, yeah. So it, it's not as simple as like, you know, put your credit card in and uh, push a button and it comes on. Right. Not like Hulu, for example, there is a lot of like, you know, technical process that has to go on behind the scenes to get it going. So right now we're looking at about six to eight weeks to get live. And that is a technical team behind the scenes that's, you know, writing the code, teaching the the bot, hey, here's a new menu. You got to learn this one now, Uh, that kind of stuff. So all of that is, uh, you know, takes time to do. Now, again, as our team gets better and better and better, and other teams that are doing the same thing get better, they will be able to 
you know, push a button and it'll be able to learn it really quickly because it's gotten so much input now that it'll be able to spit out with 90% surety. Here's what this menu means. Well, six to eight weeks really isn't that long. I mean, it actually happens before you know it and to get yeah. ramped up that way. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so you've been in the restaurant industry, you know, a long time and now mm-hmm. you're with hunger rush yep. and you're doing these really innovative things to, it really does help our economy. It does give startups a fighting chance, right? Mm-hmm. It gives independence, uh, an ability to really transfer and succeed. What, what is it that you like about what you're doing? What is it you like about hunger mm-hmm. rush? Well, besides getting the free food, like there's a restaurant, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I got to stop that too. Uh, you know, I, I think that working at this organization different than the past ones, I've been in the startup world as the decision maker or one of the decision makers uh, in the company, right? Coming, starting with one employee, then three, then five, then 70. And uh, I think, you know, that famous saying, you don't know what you don't know has been really true, right? A lot of the uh, mistakes that I've made that have taught me how to adapt and change in this industry and every industry has been because I just didn't know what the right thing to do was. And I'm looking online, trying to figure it out, talking to other individuals in the industry. I think at Hunger Rush, uh, working here is probably one of the first times I've worked with a team of extremely intelligent people. Uh, Olivier Theory, Perry Tubes, um, Eric Morris, uh, all these guys are seasoned veterans, you know, and you're able to bounce ideas off these guys and they're able to come back with real answers, right? And it's not, you know, the best thing about it isn't there saying that my way is the best way. It's more of, well, think of it this way. And then sometimes I'm right, but then they're okay with that. Sometimes they're right too, right? But the ability to have that type of dialogue is, is something I never had before. Yeah. What is the purpose of Hunger Rush? Yeah. I mean, our purpose is to, uh, we call it Hunger Rush 360. 360 meaning the complete view of the restaurant. So providing a solution from a technical standpoint, uh, whether that's the online ordering, the digital ordering, the um, website development for ordering, um, marketing, right? All of that being the uh, complete 360 that a restaurant will need. And then in the middle, right, is a point of sale system, which acts as the brain. So you could get all that together. If you're a startup, it's like a one-stop shop. Or if you're a large international brand, you may only need two of those pieces that will help you get to the 360 view of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And it sounds like all of these people together, this intellectual powerhouse, all have the same purpose. Yeah. To be the best. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So how did you, so actually you're doing um, sales and business development, right? So you're meeting with customers, right? Correct. And prospects. Who are, who are the early adopters of this technology? Describe them for me. Yeah. So um, probably uh, one of the early adopters, uh, CIO Chris Andrews, and also I consider a friend um, of Smoothie King. Um, always looking for more tech and always understanding like that years ago, his focus was we got to figure out how to get more smoothies out of our restaurant and not find solutions to um, 
figure out how to serve customers faster in the restaurant. Uh, so that the old thought process was, how do we serve them faster? And yeah, we get a faster oven, we get a, you know, and we need more servers. And that was the old way of thinking about it. The new way is how do I get more people out of the restaurant with their product or get the product to their house? And uh, I think that being on the forefront of that process was uh, allowed him to be able to see, like for him, this was a no brainer. Like, yeah, it's another channel. Uh, I know it's going to be slow to adopt because people don't even know about it. We got to first teach them this exists for them to be able to adopt it and utilize it. Mm-hmm. Um, also with Jets Pizza as well, they were the first ones to adopt it. I've had it for a few years, doing millions of orders, um, you know, and realized that from their perspective, it was a marketing initiative. Uh, and they thought completely differently. So they thought, well, you know, we send emails, which are great. But people delete them and Google and MSN and Yahoo are getting really good about filtering out marketing emails. Yeah. You have those three inboxes. You have your general, your marketing and your social. All those go in the marketing and no one ever looks at them. Uh, they're getting really good about that. You have your app ordering, but again, we have that same struggle of getting an app on a phone, right? Where we could push notifications to them. And they're like, so, but we have text ordering, we just text marketing, we can send a message to people about, a, uh, a special we're running via text, which they will read, but then they have to go to the app or the website. And I know me personally, if you want me to start downloading apps and or go to a website and put my credit card, you're going to lose me at some point. I'm like, all right, forget it. You yes, know. too many has too much data. Exactly. So what they realized was that, hey, people order, open up text marketing at about a 70% clip, which is way higher than anything else. They always read it and look at it. They'll delete it, but they'll look at it. And they, they realized really early, well, if they can order from that same user interface, we are way more likely to convert our marketing dollars into orders. And so that's how they started doing marketing via text, which in, ter- in turn produced a, around an 80% conversion rate for their marketing dollars, which is extremely impressive. That's extremely impressive. So these guys are visionaries that are looking at this pent up demand that's really not being serviced. Yeah, exactly. And they're figuring how to service it. That's cool. What are the challenges? Like who are the late adopters and what are the challenges that you guys are experiencing? Yeah. Well, the, the uh, number one challenge is like, like everybody says, why do I need that? Right. <laughs> well, and our answer always to that is, you know, how do you communicate with your friends and family? Do you call them? Well, every once in a while, I normally text them now. Okay. So if you could text people, why wouldn't you want to place an order that way as well? Texting is not one form of communication. So obviously that's the, you know, the answer to that, that, that uh, rebuttal. But the, the, the first thing that, you know, we have to get customers to understand is that, hey, th- this is happening and uh, people are going to want to text their order or you're going to need artificial intelligence in some way and fashion, whether that's answering the phone, providing uh, other data points for you throughout the restaurant. Uh, to help you grow and move forward. But getting, the, you know, with that being said, you know, I'm a victim of this too sometimes. Well, I know what's best. I've been doing this for 20 years. They're trying to tell me what. So that's, this is that, the way it's always been done. Exactly, right? So It'll I'm just going to look out. up Jet's Pizza right now. I'm just curious, right? Yeah. If, so if I look it up, say I want to order from them, right? Mm-hmm. And, oh, check it out. Came right up. And it says order open. Interesting. 
So you text your order right there. Your, so if you do it wow. through your phone, it'll open up your SMS for you. And you can start texting right away that same story. Wow. And so that's how it works. As simple yep. as that. Yeah. That is super cool. So what's on the horizon for Hunger Rush? Where, what are you guys, what are you guys planning? What's, yeah, the, I mean, what's the, the takeover? Some of the, the new stuff we have now is a, uh, a, a marketing product that operates the same way. And it is, it is built primarily for independence or the small franchise owner. And it uses the data from your point of sale system, whether that comes through online ordering or they come in the restaurant. If you get their email, cell phone, whatever, the marketing product can then push out exactly uh, the type of communication the consumer wants. So we will send an email first. If they don't open it, it'll send an SMS message next. And then it learns how you want to be messaged to, what kind of promotions you want, and when you most likely to open them, and does it automatically. So the restaurant tour is not the uh, are great at making pizzas, burgers, sushi. They're amazing at that but they never claim to be the best in marketing, right? So yeah. the more we can take off their plate from that perspective really helps, you know, sending an email, a lot of them do through constant contact or, you know, uh, whoever they use is great. But what I always tell them is like, if you're sending a 15% off coupon to somebody who comes every Tuesday anyway, you're literally just losing money. So this software can say, well, they come every Tuesday, so we're not going to send them a coupon because they're going to come anyway. So why send them one? It's about marketing to the right people at the right time. Another cool thing is taking this text ordering thing mainstream. So working with partners like uh, Yahoo, Yelp, Google, and you know, when you go through your apps, you're able to call a restaurant, right? Or place an order online, adding that button says, hey, just text your order. And then Google facilitate the uh, order to them. Wow. Yeah. So I say wow a lot on this, po- <laughs> on this podcast. This is impressive stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking about the marketing and you said it's for the small and independents um, mostly that you're rolling out because this is a big pain point for them. I know mm-hmm. they don't market enough. Um, yep. We have a pizza place down the street and you know, the, we call the guy the veritable mayor because he really knows how to market. But I'm like, <laughs> if he had something like this, right? Uh, this would be awesome. And um, it sounds to me like it just puts something a little more on automatic yep. and is it an entry point for the other, for these small independents? Like that's sort of like the entry point for the small independents because they really need help with marketing. Right. And, and, you know, it is that same, well, I've been doing this and I'm still in business is working fine. Right. And, you know, not to be like facetious or anything. I, I get it. Right. When you build something relinquishing any control when it's your livelihood, your family's involved can be difficult. Yeah. And so saying, hey, like you don't have to like send these emails or send SMS messages anymore. We could take care of that for you. We'll do it more efficiently. We'll do it in a a streamlined way that engages consumers, increases your ROI, but won't lose you money and marketing people who are coming anyway. So it's a very easy way to get out to get used to it. And then from there, yes, they are able to realize. And then like, yeah, what else can you do work. for me? Exactly. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. That's actually brilliant. Okay. Brian, how did you go from being, going into like school for civil engineering, Yeah. <laughs> ending up in the restaurant industry, right? Like yeah. what, what have you always been a food, food lover? Like how yeah. do you got that journey? So I worked in, um, 
in restaurants while I was in college. Obviously, you know, had to have beer money, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I went into uh, civil engineering because my dad's a civil engineer. So of course, I didn't know so what to do. Makes like, sense. Yeah. And then I got two years into it and all the classes and credits were now going towards my degree. And it's kind of hard to change at that point. Uh, but while I was bartending, I met my best friend, Adam, and uh, he worked in restaurants and partnered in restaurants and I was like, hey, you're really good at this. You just think about doing it. And uh, so that's how I started to really enjoy it and like it and, you know, and uh, would work there on the weekends, at nighttime, whatever I had to do to help uh, pay for my education. Uh, and then uh, after college, I left and worked for an engineering firm for all of, I want to say no more than six months. It was horrible. Uh, and uh, in a cubicle, just punching numbers. And then from there, just went back into it, right back in the restaurants and was working on the supply chain side of it for, you know, large companies like Kraft and General Mills uh, for product, uh, you know, sourcing like sugars and gums, and then slowly moved into uh, tech. You know, I bet you your civil engineering degree has probably, I'm guessing, I could be wrong, but put you in good stead as far as like thinking about things yeah. uh, and systems and very logically and um, seeing processes and mm-hmm. things like that. Am I right? Yeah, because what we always said when we were in school is like, you hire an engineer when you have a problem with no solution, right? So if you think about the engineers that work on with NASA, right? They are losing oxygen on the spaceship and they have a bucket, uh, duct tape, two screws and a boot, right? How are we gonna solve this problem? That's what engineers kind of do. Yeah. There's no like two plus two, we know equals four, but this is the problem where we don't know what the answer is. And you come up with 20 of them, but try them all, some of them fail miserably. And then like, well, on the 20, this is the best one, right? right? It's not perfect, but it's the best solution we have. We'll continue to get it better. Same yeah, it's workable, software. right? Exactly, right? So mm-hmm. software always comes out, hardware has always come out in tech and they always get better, right? Hence why you see new releases from Apple on your phone, Google updates on your computer or uh, whatever Dell updates on your laptop is because they're getting better. They release something because you can't engineer forever because you're not making any money. So you get it to about 80% and say, okay, this is good enough, let's release it. And then from there, you constantly are improving it as you get feedback, as you get, you know, better at the technology. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. And where do you see this industry going in the next five years? I mean, look, this statistic, 50% of all restaurants will be virtual by 2030. Mm -hmm. Where do you see this industry going? Where do you see the technology going five years, 10 years? Yeah, I think that the... uh human interaction in a restaurant will be limited to uh, a a few or special occasions, right? It's gonna be expensive, uh, long story short. So I think the ability for quick service, uh, food that takes out well, carries well, uh, is going to be extremely uh, popular and gonna continue to grow. So that means companies like package engineering, right? That can develop packaging that keeps food hot and doesn't shift around. You know, why is a pizza box circle? I mean, square and not circle, right? These are engineers that could develop, you know, a solution for that problem 
Or, you know, why do fries show up soggy and not crispy? That's a problem. Somebody can develop a solution around. Those are going to be extremely valuable in the upcoming uh, future. I think that's yeah. going to be huge. I, that will be huge. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Did not yep. even think about that. That will be huge. Yep. So do you have any like crazy passions? Are you like a big foodie still like behind the yeah. scenes? Yeah, I, uh, I love to uh, eat out at nice restaurants. Um, but when I say nice restaurants, I, you know, I appreciate the, you know, sous vide and the egg white foams, all that kind of stuff. But I'm really impressed by, you know, who makes the best burger or who smokes the best ribs or like something I can compare to uh, something else. So if I can go get a slice of pizza and it's the best I ever had, then I'm going to be like, this is a great piece of pizza. If I go get, you know, a sous vide egg white, you know, foam on top of a piece of scallop, I can't compare it to anything. So I can't really, it's good, but is it great? I don't know. You like the whole gamut. Okay. So in your estimation, can you say who makes the best burger? The best burger. So that's a tough one. <laughs> I just had a burger <laughs> last night. So I want to know. What do you, think? <laughs> you know, cause I, I, for me, it's like, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if I haven't eaten there in a while, uh, that's a tough one, I have to say. Who makes the best the, ribs? Best ribs is going to be uh, Terry Black's in Austin. That's pretty good. Okay. They're very good at it. Yeah. Pizza right now, I would say is uh, Via 313. Who is it? Uh, Via 313. They're from Detroit, but now have moved to Texas. And uh, it's very good. They have unique pizzas, uh, really good stuff. Quality. Not, not good for, you know, kids' outings, but good for, like, a date night if you want pizza. Yeah, that sounds nice. Yeah. Well, I like burgers and fries as comfort food. My boyfriend loves pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Do you cook? I do cook. I do cook. Yeah. Yeah. And what's your favorite thing to cook? I like to smoke meat, you know, like a big slab of meat and uh, put it on the smoker for a good two, three hours. uh, See what happens, you know, try different things, make my own sausages from scratch. No and yeah. I make sausages when I yeah. have some time. Yeah, well, you have kids, right? So they probably oh, love yeah. your love dad's food, right? <laughs> yep. No, actually, they don't. They don't like it. It's too, they don't like it's it. Too, <laughs> it's too fancy. They want, like, you know, mac and cheese and hot dogs. Well, I can make you a filet mignon with butter crust. Nope. Craft you know what? I love mac and cheese and hot dogs, too. <laughs> 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 Brian, how do people get a hold of you? Yeah, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Feel free to look me up. Uh, Brian Duncan on LinkedIn. Uh, as we said, with Hunger Rush. Uh, probably the best way to do it. Also, um, I'm not sure if you're sharing my email. or uh, If you want to, you can absolutely do that. I can, but we have a really good spam blocking uh, solution. So if you're going to try and sell me something. <laughs> uh, okay, good. Brian. Well, so then contact you via LinkedIn, right? <laughs> you can email me at brian.duncan at hungerrush.com. Probably a good way too as well. Okay, cool. Hey, Brian, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I learned a lot. I don't think I'm ever going to look at ordering food the same way again. (laughs) I hear that a lot, actually. (laughs) Cool. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laugh, tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with some tidbit from this show. Thank you for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. 
Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.